Well, hey, go ahead and uh, grab your Bible if you brought one. Uh, We're going to open up to God's Word now. Thank you, Aline, for leading us this morning. Such a good uh, time together. Thankful for you. Aline's become a fast friend of our church uh, here uh, in this uh, season. And um, I'm excited to get into God's Word this morning. Uh, Some of you, uh, if you've been reading your uh, weekly and emails, you're like, wait, you're not Blake. Blake, I thought Blake was preaching this morning. Um, Blake called me yesterday morning and um, uh, informed me that uh, he tested positive for COVID. Uh, So uh, I got to jump in. Um, So I'm excited about the passage that we have. And uh, I'll admit I'm a little less uh, sort of uh, polished and prepared than uh, normal, but uh, that's where I trust and and, um, I'm thankful for God's working, his speaking. Um, And so I know that he has something for us this morning. Um, We can be praying for Blakey and the family. Um, a little sick. They're doing fine. It's nothing um, too too serious uh, as of as of yet. But um, obviously, he couldn't uh, couldn't be with us uh, this morning. And so, we're going to continue in our series in Acts. Uh, we are in Acts chapter twenty one this morning. And so, if you uh, have a copy of Scripture, I'd love for you to have it on your lap, see it in front of you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. And as you're opening to Acts uh, twenty one, um, wondering if you uh, remember. Uh, this uh, picture here. Can we throw up that picture of the uh, easy button? Um, You guys remember this? Yeah. This was part of an ad campaign not too long ago, so you don't have to go too far back. Uh, But the idea with this campaign was, wouldn't it be great if there was just a button that we could press and make whatever our our situation is uh, easier? So the claim that I think it was uh, Staples that uh, was making is that, yeah, if if you go with us, if you you know, use us, it's going to make everything easy. And I think if we're honest, uh, many of us would love to make whatever current situation we're in a little bit easier uh, for us. Um, uh, You know, getting laundry done. Man, that'd be awesome if there was like an easy button, right? Uh, making dinner, uh, easy button. Some of us, like, there is an easy button. It's called DoorDash. You just, uh, <laughs> you do that. Work project, you've been dragging your feet on. Easy button, it's just done, right? If you've ever moved, if you've ever moved, right, you definitely want an easy button. Bree and I are in the middle of a move, and every time, like I'm sure you are, every time we're like, never again. I'm going to die in this next house, okay? And, uh, and, and, and that is, I would, I would push that button in a second and uh, just be all packed up and in the other house ready to go. Well, those are all pretty defined situations, right? Like the, those are kind of concrete. Um, what about some that are a little more ongoing and a little harder to uh, put in a box? Um, you know, have you ever been working through relational conflict and uh, you're dealing with somebody, a loved one, uh, uh, a spouse, a, uh, even a coworker or a friend, uh, a neighbor. Uh, how many times do we wish there was an easy button to just press and, and have that conflict uh, sorted and, and solved? Um, if you've ever dealt with, and most of us have, a prevailing sin in our life, and uh, we would love to just press that easy button and have that go away, uh, raising your children, right? It's, uh, it's a long process. Um, some of us uh, think that that process ends when they leave the house, and then years later, you're like, wait, I'm still raising this child, um, right? And uh, uh, finding a spouse, like, um, uh, or living uh, with purpose and mission and Uh, constantly coming back to the place that God would have you be. I mean, there's lots of places that I wish we could push the easy button, 
right? And then it was just all uh, sort of done, all through it, all uh, kind of out of it. Um, but here's the big idea that we're going to see uh, today. It's this, is that followers of Jesus are called to make the ongoing choice of obedience over easy. Followers of Jesus are called to make the ongoing choice of obedience over easy. This is the big idea that we're going to see in our text this morning. Uh, the title for the sermon this morning is um, uh, Obedience is Often Difficult. Obedience is often difficult because what we're going to see is uh, many times, oftentimes, when we choose to follow uh, God's leading, his working, his plan, it is not always the easiest path. It's not like pressing that easy button. And so uh, maybe for you, uh, you wish it was easy, right? Uh, maybe for you, easy looks like simple. If it was just simple, if I knew exactly what it was, if I had the two choices to choose from and could just kind of pick the thing that God you know, is telling me I'm supposed to do, I would just do that. It's simple. Some of us, easy looks like safe. Uh, it's, 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 it's secure. It, it is uh, not challenging. It's not difficult. It's not uh, in this place. Uh, some of us, easy looks like convenient, it's the option that uh, is just kind of the most straightforward and, and available uh, for us and in front of us. And so we want that. Others of us, easy, it looks like it's pain-free. If there's an option that involves some heartache or difficulty, then let's not do that. Let's do the one that doesn't involve pain. But again, the big idea we're going to see is that followers of Jesus are called to make the ongoing choice of obedience over easy. And we're going to see that oftentimes obedience does not lead to any of these things like ease, like comfort, like security, like convenience, like a pain-free opportunity. Oftentimes it actually leads us, obedience leads us into greater difficulty. And this is the reality of following Christ that sometimes I think doesn't always get the airtime that it needs. I think sometimes if, if some of us are honest, we were presented with this picture of following Christ where if we accept Jesus into our hearts, then it's like accepting the, or pressing that easy button. It's going to make everything easy, right? It's going to make all, all the difficulty uh, make sense and everything kind of go away. And then you start following Jesus for a while and you're like, wait a second, this isn't easy. This is actually really hard. And, and, and there's things that don't always make sense. And, and there's things that are all uh, like kind of take some work and some effort different than I expected. And so our expectations need to be adjusted. We've been following the church, this group of believers, men, women, the small band of believers who uh, have been on mission for Christ. They have been intentional and in sharing and witnessing to who Jesus is and what he had done. And we've seen the church now expand across continents and across countries and, and languages and, and different cultures and, and, and places. And the gospel has gone forth. And we've been following Paul through his journeys as he's been uh, sharing with uh, believers, encouraging believers, planting churches, raising up leaders, discipling, maturing uh, believers. And now uh, he's on his way back to Jerusalem. And as we saw last week, this is kind of the final stretch of his missionary journey, his, his journey back. And it is growing in its intensity and growing in its difficulty. And so we're going to learn from him and his, uh, just the example that he sets 
for us. So many of these chapters at the end of Acts as we're wrapping it up, you know, zero in and focus on Paul. Again, we've said many times before, he is just a guy. But he's a guy that was being led by the Spirit, that submitted to the Spirit, that he allowed God to work powerfully in his life. And so we are uh, challenged by this. And so if we want to be followers of Jesus, making this ongoing choice of obedience over easy, I think what we're going to see this morning is four things that must be present in our life if we are going to choose obedience over easy. Four things that we're going to choose or that need to be present in our life if we're going to make that choice for obedience over easy. Easy. Let me give you the first one and then we'll see it in the text. It's this. We need to have a confidence in God's leading through his spirit. A confidence in God's leading through his spirit. Let's see this. Actually, we're going to be in, I said chapter 21, but I want to just flip back a little bit. I want to see this actually in chapter 20, verses 23 and 24. This is, we uh, saw this, I'm sorry, it's 22 and 23. We saw this last week. But this is the uh, mission that, uh, that Paul is on here. He said, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. See, this is where we must start. The follower of Jesus must start with this point right here, a confidence in God's leading through his spirit. I should say his spirit. Sorry. It was a rough, rough kind of gathering, getting it ready here, okay? Through his spirit. This is what we must begin. Uh, we see that Paul was on this journey, this march back to Jerusalem, and he was confident that God was leading him in that. He said he was constrained by the spirit. He didn't know what was going to happen, except he did know that the Spirit had told him time and time again in every city that he went to that imprisonment and affliction awaited him. And so the confidence that Paul has in his mission begins there in the presence and, and in the plan of God given to him through his Spirit. What about us? Are we confident? Are we sure in the things that God is leading and calling us to? Where is his Spirit leading us right now. See, Paul's going to encounter plenty of reasons to doubt, and he is confident that he's right where he's supposed to be. He's moving in the direction. He's heading to the destination that God has called him to. And we don't see where, and we don't necessarily get the picture of how, but Paul is clear about it. God has led him through his spirit to where he's going. So let's just kind of be clear about this, what we're talking about. This is, this leading by the Spirit is more than just sort of a hunch or, or kind of this feeling. I think sometimes we, we try and discern the Spirit and we're kind of like, well, I'm just sort of feeling this and kind of sensing this. That's part of it. But sometimes like we, we sense or sort of feel things for a variety of reasons. So it's not just that. Um, clearly, uh, Paul is confident in this direction and leading. So how do we know? How can we be certain in God's leading? Well, I think God confirms to us his leading by his counsel. So the primary place, or one of the primary places of his counsel, is in his spirit. And I believe that his spirit still speaks today. Not necessarily in an audible voice, not necessarily in a way that you, know, you would kind of hear me or, or, or somebody else kind of talking to you, but he still speaks. 
Sometimes that is like an impression or a burden. There's been times before where I've been uh, working uh, during the day or, or in the middle of something, and I've just gotten this, this sense that I need to, um, this, 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 this burden for somebody that I need to contact them or reach out to them or get in touch with them and just check in on them. And so many times what I hear back is, your timing is incredible. Um, I'm actually in the middle of this right now, or I'm so glad to hear from you because I needed this. I think that's just a very concrete example of where I've felt led by the Spirit. Um, I've uh, shared this story, I think, before, but um, this, uh, this place that we now call home, this, this building, this facility that we're in, this church building, um, I uh, first drove by it before the church was even launched and planned, and I, I'm telling you, I got this, uh, this, this leading from the Spirit that, that, that this perhaps would be a church home for us. Spent many days parked in this parking lot, nights parked in this parking lot, praying over this building that God would give it to us and allow us to be able to use this. Um, the church that was in here was, was, was dying and, and it was going to be tore down. And, um, and, 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 you know, it was, I was like, we just, I don't want to see this church building go away and saw the Lord's leading in that. I don't think that was some creative idea that I came up with. I think that was God's leading in that. And then as I shared that with others, it was confirmed with, with other people. And they too sensed and felt God's leading toward this, not just this building, but this neighborhood, this place, this community right here, this little part of our city is where we sensed and saw God leading us to. And so Paul understands God is calling me to do this through his spirit. So that's kind of the place where it is. But again, how do we know for sure that it's his spirit speaking to us? Well, that's where I think his other counsel comes in. God also counsels us not just through his spirit, but also through his word. Uh, know this, God will never contradict his written word. If you ever sense God leading you to do something or speaking to you in some way, uh, it will always line up with or be confirmed by this book right here. God has perfectly written down for us everything that we need for life and godliness. And he will never contradict himself. And so if he said it here, he's not going to call you to do something different. So if you're kind of, man, I feel like God's asking me to do this and kind of go out on this, this kind of limb or, or do this sort of thing. And then you read God's word and there's a clear contradiction. It's like, well, I think he says not to do that here you can rest assured that this is, this is right and, and maybe you, know, you need to sleep on that burrito or something and, and kind of, you know, that, that might be something else that's telling you that, okay? And so we come back to his word. He also counsels us not just through his spirit, not just through his word, but also through our conscience. God's word is clear that men and women have been made in his likeness and there is written on our hearts an understanding of right from wrong. There's a general understanding. We see in Romans that men and women suppress this. They suppress this truth that we've been given. But we are able to listen to the conscience that God has given us. He's inscribed some, some things on us. So, so sometimes there's just this like, well, I just, I, I feel like that's not the right thing to do. That's probably <laughs> your conscience um, that God has given you, uh, that sense of, 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 of a rightness and a wrongness and sometimes even a wise and unwise. I mean, he has given generally to people uh, his, his image, his likeness, and it comes out in that way. Fourthly, though, he counsels us through others. We can be confirmed of God's leading as there's wise followers of Jesus in fellowship with the Lord, 
with their noses in their Bibles, offering their perspective and their counsel into the situation. And so my encouragement would be for you, if you're trying to do what Paul had here, if you're trying to find confidence in God's leading through his spirit, where is God leading me right now? I would look to those four places. And if they all seem to be sort of pointing in the same direction, then there's a good sense that is where God is leading you toward. He tends to kind of line all of that up together. And so Paul, as he is on this journey back to Jerusalem, he is confident, constrained by the Spirit, knowing that he's going toward difficulty, but he is confident of this. You see, I think one of the places that the enemy likes to often attack us is in our confidence in God and his calling on our life. Do you remember the first sin, the first question that was asked that led toward that? The serpent said to Eve, did God really say that you were not to eat of any tree in the garden, right? Did God really say? And I think there's so many times that we, in the same way, question And this lack of confidence, did God really say it? Is God really calling me to this? Did God really lead me to this place? And if we have a confidence of God's leading and of God's calling, that will set the trajectory for us. And so we need to be in relationship with him. We need to be in our words that we're hearing from him in that way. We need to be in prayer to him, both talking to the Lord and listening to him. He's talking back to us. We need to be in relationship with other believers so there's people that know us and, 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 and can speak into the situation. Right? We need to be sensitive to, to what God has made us and the way that he's made us and so that we would understand and have this confidence in God's leading. That sets the trajectory for Paul. So he, where we met him last week, was in Miletus and he was met there by the Ephesian elders They gathered together. Paul exchanged some final words of encouragement and exhortation toward them. They, as we saw last week, they wept, they uh, embraced, they kissed. It was a heartfelt goodbye. He gets back on the ship and continues his journey to Jerusalem. Confident, Paul confident that he was going in the direction that God was leading him. So this is the first thing that we need if we are going to choose obedience over easy is a confidence in God's Spirit's leading. Uh, The second thing that we need that we're going to see right here is a willingness to wade through the confusion. A willingness to wade through the confusion. Just because we're confident doesn't mean that there won't be some confusion that arises. Because Paul, on his Many stops back to Jerusalem encounters many other disciples, many other believers, and there's some confusion that is unpacked. I want to show this to you, and we're going to see it in verse 21. I'll let you write this point down. Willingness to wade through the confusion, and then let's... uh, let me show you a map. I know we love to see the maps. We have. It's been a while since we've seen a map, so here's uh, here's the map of kind of where we're at. 
Uh, so my Letus is, um, it's a little small up there, so those in the front can probably see it, but you see uh, kind of the southeastern part, or southwestern part of Asia, right above the um, Kyria, is Miletus. That's where we were last week. And so this is kind of the following journey that's going to take place. So he goes from uh, Kos down toward Rose and over to Patera, and then around Cyprus, he's going to say he passes Cyprus on his left, so it kind of goes um, the outside way as opposed to the like kind of inside way closer to uh, the mainland. He's going to get to Tyre, spend some time there, and eventually end up in Caesarea before making his way to Jerusalem. But this is the conclusion of this journey that he's been on, his final journey. And now he's making his way back to Jerusalem. He wants to be there for Pentecost. Let me, let's read it there in God's word. Look at verse 21. It says, When we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there Patera, having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Telemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands, and says, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people were ur urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be in prison, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of uh, Nason, the Cyprus, and an early disciple with whom we should lodge. And then we're gonna see in the next verse, he makes it to Jerusalem. Well, here's the thing that we need to be encountered. We might have confidence in God's spirit and his leading, but we need to have a willingness to wade through the confusion that might come as a result of that. Notice that the spirit was speaking to Paul, not just speaking to Paul, though. He's speaking to everybody, right? How many times do we see it here in this, these verses that we just read, this narrative uh, there, um, when he stopped at Tyre for seven days, he says that he found some disciples, so found the believers, and there was obviously this fast connection there. They were together, uh, the goodbye, you can see. I mean, it was wives and children there together, and they were weeping again, hugging, embracing, worried for Paul. And it says there that through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. All right, so let's deal with this. How do we kind of reconcile this with what we just said? I said, hey, uh, one of the ways that we know the counsel of God's word is through other believers, other wise uh, followers of Jesus. So what's going on here? 
Well, if you have ever uh, tried to make a major decision or, or done something, you've probably got some conflicting counsel from well-meaning, wise followers of Jesus, right? Uh, sometimes, uh, maybe mom and dad uh, tend to be a little bit on the safe and cautious side, right, of the advice that you're getting. And maybe that college roommate or, or whatever back in the day uh, that, that you kind of like sought counsel from was a little bit more on the, yeah, go for it side, right? Like the, the uh, little more uh, risk, um, uh, risk, okay with the risk, you know, that, that you were taking. And so we kind of have this spectrum of, of counsel and advice that comes in. And so what about these guys? It says the disciples, they were being led by the Spirit. What is that? mean? Well, here's the, the, the reality is this, is, is we don't know how they were being led. It says that Paul in every city, right? When he said he was constrained by the Spirit, he said the Spirit is revealing to him in every city what will happen to him, that there's going to be a pris- imprisonment and afflictions. So here's how I would reconcile this, is that the Spirit was, re- was re- uh, revealing to the disciples there in Tyre that imprisonment and affliction was awaiting Paul. They, however, were drawing different conclusions with that. They were right in discerning and hearing from the Spirit that it was trouble ahead. I don't think they were right in their counsel of, hey, this is going to mean trouble for you, Paul. Please don't go. We don't want to see you imprisoned. We don't want to see you afflicted. We don't want to see you dead. Paul, please, please stay with us. Please avoid that place. Please don't go. So they were being led by the Spirit. However, in their flesh and in their sort of perspective, they're like, I don't think that's wise. That means trouble. You could do so much else for the church and for, for others if you were not to go. They're drawing these different conclusions. Well, there's more counsel, right, that comes. He, he ends up at the house of Philip. It says one of the seven. This is the same Philip all the way back in like chapter seven and eight. The, the Philip that went to, carried the gospel for the first time to Samaria. Remember that Ethiopian eunuch that was on the side of the road and was like, hey, can I get baptized here? It was that Philip. So this Philip He's still following the Lord. He's a leader there in the church. He's living in Tyre. He's got these four um, uh, unmarried daughters who are prophesying. We don't say, it doesn't say where, but the assumption is that they're saying the same thing, that there's affliction and difficulty waiting. But then you have what looks like sort of an Old Testament prophet coming, Agabus. He comes down from Judea and he like takes Paul's belt, which I wish there was more details on what's going on there. Like, how did he get the belt? Like, what, what, is this the belt that's holding his pants? Is it like his money belt? Like, what, what is happening here? But, but Agabus comes and like, in a dramatic fashion, right? He takes the belt and he, he binds himself up and he ties his hands, he ties his hands. He's like, the person who owns this belt is going to, you know, this is what's gonna happen. And it, it seems, it's like reminiscent of one of those Old Testament, like super dramatic. He's trying to prove a point. He's like, Paul, this is what's gonna happen to you. Do you not understand? And notice the we in verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people urged him not to go to Jerusalem. We've seen this we several times throughout the book of Acts. What does we mean? It means Dr. Luke himself, right? Author of the book of Acts is part of the crowd. Like Luke himself is like, yeah, it didn't seem very prudent to me either. Like when I heard this, I'm like, yeah, we don't think you should go. And they're urging him not to go in this Paul's response, though, notice, he says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. That word there for breaking, if you've ever had like a dirty rug, uh, 
The other day I took, I always put those like, um, you know, sort of winter mats down in my car, um, you know, to try and catch some of the salt and it's kind of a lost cause around here, but you know, you do what you can. And so I took out, you know, the regular rugs and I was kind of like beating them. That, that, like that, that, that beating, that pounding, that, you know, trying to shake everything loose. That's that same connotation of that word there. He said, what are you doing breaking my heart, right? You're beating on my emotions. You're pounding on my heart in this moment. Please stop. He's like, for I am ready not only to be in prison, but to even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is going on here? Well, the reality is this. I think the Spirit is speaking to all of these followers of Jesus. But again, they're drawing different conclusions in that. Paul is confident. He is convinced. He's not disagreeing with any of them. He's like, you're right. There is imprisonment. There is death that awaits me there in Jerusalem, but I am ready and God has called me to it. And so why are you pounding on my emotions? Why are you weeping over this? It's already hard enough. Please stop. And that's when he says, says since we, he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. They trusted it to God to work it all out. And see, here's the thing that I think happens. At, at different times, well-meaning people, well-meaning followers of Jesus try and persuade people away from the call of God on their life. And I think there are two important points of application for us. The first is this. Uh, we need to be confident in God's leading in our life, right? See above, see point one. There's a confidence and assurance that comes in that. At times, you might be convinced that God is leading you towards something or in something, and that confidence needs to carry you because there might be well-meaning people who hear about the risks, hear about the dangers. It might be mom, might be dad, right? And they're like, I don't know if you should do that. I don't know if that's the best plan. I don't know if that's the best course of action. Are you sure you really want to do that? So we need to be confident in what God is leading. Now, that doesn't mean we disregard everything and just if it's risky, then God's in it because sometimes, you know, there are some wise counsel that's leading us away toward unnecessary risk. I'm not saying just go for the riskiest thing that's in front of you, all right? That's not what God's spirit is doing and leading. But at times, there might be some misleading, some confusion that's gonna be happening and we need to be ready to be sorted through that. The second point of application, and this is probably more pertinent for all of us, is this, is that we need to be careful that we aren't more concerned with the comfort and ease that we want, that we would want for someone else, rather than what God is calling them to. I think this is particularly pertinent in the lives of those that we love. Parents with children, grandparents with grandchildren, siblings, Spouses, we tend to sort of get really excited about those that would risk a lot or take on, you know, difficult opportunities for the Lord when they are people that are not the closest to us. Oftentimes, I think if we're honest, those that are the closest to us, we desire ease and comfort and security, and safety, and nearness, and all of these things. And sometimes, if we're not careful, that can cloud the way that we instruct, and that we pray, and that we encourage, and how they should follow the call of God on their life. And so let me just speak specifically to parents. Parents, are you willing to pray 
a bold and risky prayer over your kids for all the days that they are in your house. Parents, are you willing to pray that God will take them and lead them wherever, wherever he would use them the most, even if that means it's out of town, across the country, across the ocean? He's not calling all of us to that, but he is calling some of us. And is that your child? Are you willing to release them to what God has called them to and trust that God is going to work in and through their life? See, I think it's so easy as parents that we would say, well, yeah, that's great for somebody else's kid, but my kid, man, I want him down the street. I want, I want to know those grandbabies. I want to know, uh, be a part of their life and, and have them close and in that place, right? So we're not, we're not really talking about that for my kid. That's for somebody else's kid. But I think the reality is this, is that we should, with open hands, we're, we're just stewards in that place. So parents, specifically, I think this is a great point of application for us. Are we pointing our children toward whatever call might be upon their life? See, I think the thing that was clouding for these believers was that they loved Paul. They cared for Paul. They wanted to see Paul safe. They wanted to see him secure. But again, Paul was willing to choose obedience over easy. And in that moment, he wasn't going to be persuaded by these are we willing to let those that we love follow the call of God on their lives? See, I believe that God is still calling us to difficult places and hard things. That doesn't mean that we're all going to like, you know, foreign countries and, and, and you know, in the corners of the, of the world where there's like grave and, and great danger. But it might be that, that we're just in a difficult spot that's not, you know, in the neighborhood. And there might be some challenges and some, some, some heartaches ahead of us. Are we willing to allow God to do that with those that we care about and those that we love? I think in order to speak well and, and, and to give wise counsel into people's life, we have to be involved and engaged with people. That goes both ways. We need to allow people to know us and to be willing to like, talk to them and share the things that we're going through, the things that we're weighing on us and, 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 and deciding, right? And we need to be engaged with other people so that when those difficult conversations and, and, and decisions come up, that we can speak with wisdom into it. And so we see Paul was willing to wade through the confusion. At times there might be confusion. Some of us, as soon as it's like confusing, like, ah, I'm, in, I'm just out, right? I, I, it's too, too hard. I don't. Easy button, right? We want out of it, but we need to wade through some of that confusion. Here's what we're gonna see next. I'll show it to you in the text. Let me give you the third point. It's this, is that we need to, uh, have a submission to God's plan even through the conflict. So a willingness to wade through the confusion, but a submission to God's plan even through conflict. Should be no surprise what's coming next, right? Paul on his way to Jerusalem, it's been prophesied many times, there's conflict that's coming. Let's continue on. I want to continue to read the narrative. I know we're covering a lot of verses, but um, I think it's helpful to see. Verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Right, Paul is back. It's been decades. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. James is one of the leaders of the church at this point in Jerusalem. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands are among the Jews of those who have believed? 
right? They were so encouraged by it of what God had done in and, in and through uh, the ministry of Paul and, and the many others that were with him. And they were so encouraged by what would have happened among those Gentiles. Now, it's not really referenced here, but Paul references in one of his other letters, one of his reasons for his journey to Jerusalem, get this, it's super cool, he was bringing a gift that had been raised by all these Gentile cities and churches for the Jewish believers there in Jerusalem. They heard that there was great need, that there were poor that were suffering. And so these brand new Christians, these young churches had gathered their resources and sent with Paul a gift for the Gentile or for the believers there. So from the Gentiles to the Jewish people. And so Paul not only is recounting, hey, listen to the way that God has moved and the church is established. Let me tell you about Ephesus. God worked powerfully in Ephesus. There is a thriving church there in Ephesus. Oh, and by the way, here's a gift that is to encourage and to be a blessing to those in need here. And there was great rejoicing that came from that because they're like, God has worked in this place. But notice, notice, here's where the conflict is. It says, these thousands of Jews that are among who have you believed, they are zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, which isn't true, uh, telling them to not circumcise their children, that's not true, or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. So a little, little conflict, a little problem. The Jewish believers are, are frustrated and, and, and upset because they've heard that Paul is like telling them to throw all of the Mosaic laws and customs and different things out. And that's just not true. That's not what Paul has been saying. That's not what he's been encouraging the Jewish people to do. Yet these lies have spread. Um, what's the, uh, uh, what's the, the phrase like, uh, you know, a uh, lie can like make its way around the world before like truth is put, like puts its pants on or something like that. I think that's like kind of my version of that, but like, you know, lies, like lies can, can spread, right? Um, that, that they are hard to get back. Um, uh, I heard, um, or I saw one illustration uh, about this where um, somebody was, uh, this, this lie had been uh, kind of, um, this rumor had been spread. Someone kind of, um, you know, was kind of quick to share some news that wasn't true, and then it had kind of spread throughout the entire town. And so uh, this this um, uh, this person went to one of the like wise uh, people in the in the city and said, "How do I how do I fix this? How do I get this thing back?" And he's like, "Well, go and buy um, I think it was like a dove or something, and and um, and then take and, and pluck the feathers, and I think kill it first, but you know, take and pluck the feathers and, and walk along the path, and then drop all of the feathers, and then the next day go back and gather up all of those feathers." And upon trying it, returned to the, she's like, that's impossible. Like I, I couldn't, plucking them was easy, but, but like picking them up was and like, that's the, that's the place that you're gonna have with this lie. Like it is, it, is, it is very hard to get back that which has already been spread. And so these lies, these rumors, different things had been kind of spread by uh, different people and, and they were believing them. So they're like, what can we do? And so uh, verse 23, do therefore what we tell you. This is the plan. Like, let's try this. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourselves also live in observance of the law. 
But as for the Gentiles who believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from one blood and what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took men and the next day he purified himself and along with them went into the temple giving notice of what the days, when the days of purification would be fulfilled and offering presented for each one of them. What is this? This is most certainly a, like a Nazarite vow. And so this was kind of the example, like see, see, I still... I still am under the law. I still follow the customs and ways of, of Moses. There's still some value in that. Not a saving value, but there is value. That's what Paul is trying. And this goes, um, what, what, what the, kind of, the place that this is gonna fall is nice try, okay? Because this doesn't take it and fix the problem. Because here we go, verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, which... If we've been following along, right, uh, Ephesus is in Asia. These are probably those same pesky Ephesian Jews, right, that have been following them everywhere, stirring up trouble wherever Paul goes. The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd. And they even laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere against the people and against the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and he has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So again, not even true. Like this is like now they are so prejudiced toward Paul, they're like just making stuff up. They didn't see Trophimus in the temple with Paul, but they assumed Paul and Trophimus out together, he must have brought this Greek into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and all the people ran together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. I mean, imagine being Paul in the midst of this conflict, right? There are, like, the city is busting at the seams. Uh, for sure, hundreds of thousands, some commentators say as many as two million people were in the city of Jerusalem during these festivals. It's Pentecost. And so the city is busting, and Paul is in the middle of this, and they are laying hands on him, and they were seeking to kill him. And so word went and came to the tribune of the cohort, that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. So in the corner of the temple, there was actually a little garrison where uh, some of the soldiers would hang out. And so it says here that uh, the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him uh, to be bound, or sorry, he took, it once took soldiers and centurions, okay? So a centurion oversees 100, uh, 100 soldiers. There was probably at least 200 soldiers, maybe three, maybe more, that came running in. And so they went down, they ran down. When they saw the tribune, that is the leader over um, kind of the, uh, the, the representation of Rome there in the, in the temple, and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And then the tribune came up, arrested him, ordered him to be pounded with two chains, just like it was prophesied, right? Agabus was right and correct. He's tied up with two chains, and he inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of an uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried to the soldiers, right? Probably dragged uh, because of the violence of the crowd and the mob of the people followed crying out away with him. That's not just like get him out of here. That is like kill him, like end his life away with him. Uh, take him off the face of this earth is what their people are shouting. Sounds very familiar, right? Jesus himself, I mean, there was this mob that formed, this shouting, crucify him. And now here is, here is Paul in the same place and in a very similar way, the mob has now formed against him. There's false accusations being thrown at him, all of this. And so Paul is in the midst of this. And here's the reality is this, is that Paul knew this was coming. He knew this was coming and he was still willing 
to enter into this place and to come to this city and to be obedient to God's plan. Can we just acknowledge the fact that we are going to encounter bumps and conflicts and difficulty and pain? Obedience to God will not always lead us to a place of greater ease, comfort, and security. And if we do encounter those difficulties, it would be wrong for us to assume that we are going the wrong way. That if there's one thing that we can take away from this example right here, would it be this? Is that sometimes I think we interpret difficulty as God saying that we need to stop or to turn or to go the other way, and that's just not it. Oftentimes, my my experience has been that when I'm following God closely, when I'm on the path that he would have me on, when, when I'm in the place that he's called me to, that is sometimes where I encounter the greatest difficulty and the greatest opposition. Why? Because that is where the enemy is most concerned and most, uh, you know, trying to frustrate the plans of the Lord. And so sometimes it's like I get really worried when things are going super well and things are really easy. I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm actually following the Lord in the way that things should be because, I mean, I'm not looking for difficulty, right? Like, no, but none of us are doing that. See, I think sometimes people think that Christians like are, are in search of suffering. Like we're trying to find places to suffer. And the reality is that's not it. Like we are not seeking out suffering, Okay, so if you're hearing that out of this, we're not trying to find the places where it's most difficult, but we're seeking obedience to the Lord. And when we seek obedience to the Lord, it oftentimes will bring some level of suffering with it. Listen, church, are we okay with that? Are we okay to be in a place that's not safe, where our health might be in jeopardy, where our uh, friendships might be in jeopardy, where our social status might be in jeopardy? where our financial means of, of income will be in jeopardy. Like, are we okay putting ourselves in places where there's some risk and there's some difficulty? Because I think we are risk adverse. We like to be in these places and what we see time and time again is obedience and submission to God's plan often brings the conflict. I think so many times challenges will be a sign that real ministry is happening. If you are engaging in what God has called you to in your life and it's difficult, there's a good chance that that's exactly where God has you to be. Again, I'm not saying that that's like the only indicator, but so many times that is par for the course. It's to be expected. Here's the fourth thing. If we want to choose obedience over easy, we need to have this. This is the fourth thing we need to have is eagerness through everything to point to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, at every opportunity, took the chance to point to the saving work of Jesus in his life. Look at verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Uh, Paul's like, no, wrong guy. That's not me. <laughs> not the Egyptian who led 4,000 men out. Uh, different guy. Uh, so Paul replied, I am a Jew. I'm from Tarshish in Sicilia, a citizen of no obscure city. Tarshish was a, a prominent place. It was well known. He's like, I'm, that's, that's where I'm from. And look what he does. Don't miss this. He says, I beg you. 
This is what Paul's begging for. What's Paul begging for? I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. See, Paul at every corner, every opportunity, every turn had an eagerness to point through everything to the gospel of Jesus. And the tribune allowed him to. He gave him permission. And so he stood up on the steps. He motioned with his hands to the people. There was a great hush. Then he began to speak in the Hebrew language, probably Aramaic. And he begins to speak and he shares and he says, brothers, fathers, hear the defense I now make for you. And this is your homework for this week. Read through this. We're not gonna go through the whole story, but Paul shares his testimony of God's working in his life. Let me summarize it for you. Paul says, I was this. I was a murderer. I was chasing down these followers of Jesus. I was on my way to Damascus with letters in my hand, giving me permission to go in and drag the Christians out. I was was far from God, but God met me on that road to Damascus. He showed up in a powerful way and he blinded me and he led me to this different place and and, and I was waiting there for a man who came and brought sight back but then explained to me who and what I had seen and what he had done, right? But God, I was this, but God this, and now I have been going everywhere I can go telling everyone who will listen about Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the hope for all men and all women. He is the place of salvation. He is where we find our being. He's where life is found. And he says, he's like, listen, I had to go from this place because of all the things that I had done, but God used even that. He sent me out that I would go to the Gentiles. He's like, I was in this very place, right? The the blood of Stephen, your witnesses was being shed. I myself was standing by, approving, watching over. I mean, Paul, him very self, has indicated a, instigated a mob just like this. And he was standing over it, holding the coats. And he's like, listen, God changed me. He saved me. He made me new. Every opportunity he's able to point to the gospel of Jesus Christ And I would just say this today, if you are looking for that easy button, you're not gonna find something that's gonna take away all the difficulty and all the trouble. But you will find in Christ something that is going to take away the burden that you are trying to carry on your own. Jesus went to the cross for our sins. He died so that we could be forgiven and that we could be brought to life and that we could have purpose and that we could have a plan and that we could have the savior that we so desperately need. And he did that for us. It's not only is there no easy button that we can press to do that, there's no way that we can even even achieve that on our own. We are not good. Only God is good. And that's why he sent his son for us in our place. And so I can tell you this, if you are looking for an easy button, here's one way you can make it a little easier on yourself. You ready? If you wanna make it a little easier on yourself, one of the things that you can just take off the table is you can resolve in your heart to always choose the path of obedience in your life. So I think one of the places that we encounter difficulty is we ask ourselves, am I gonna be obedient in this, right? Or am I gonna choose my way? Am I gonna be obedient or am I gonna choose my way? Here's where you can make it easy. Just resolve to choose obedience in all things. Then when the opportunity comes along next and you're tempted to uh, sort of waver on that. It's like, oh, I already decided this. I don't have to be conflicted about this. I'm going to choose obedience in this situation. What has God said? I want to do that. It will make it easier. 
It's already been decided. Next opportunity, you have to lie. You're not going to lie in that situation because you want to be for the truth as God is for the truth. Of course, you're going to act in purity with your girlfriend or your boyfriend in that relationship because you've decided you want to act in obedience to the Lord. Of course, you're going to be patient with others when they offend you because that's what forgiven people do is they are willing to give forgiveness to others and they are patient with others. Of course, you're going to speak up for the gospel when you have opportunity. You have no other hope but in Christ Jesus. Why would you not then speak of that? Of course, you're going to be obedient in that. What I think we'll find is that in the long run, what, what seems so difficult to ultimately will lead to the greatest security, the greatest comfort, even the greatest ease because God is in the middle of it. And so even in the difficulty, we can find the strength, the ease that we are looking for because he is the one who is working. He is the one who's carrying it. And ultimately, we know that there is an eternity that is coming where every tear will be wiped away, every wrong will be made right, and God's justice will reign and his people will be with their maker. That day is coming. That day awaits those who are in Christ Jesus. And listen, we long for and we look forward to that day. And that is what gave Paul the confidence to choose obedience over what was easy, knowing that this life is short, these days are few, but eternity is coming and God is worthy of that. Listen, my prayer for us is that God would be raising up men and women, our youth, right, our children, our students, that he would be raising and calling people to himself for great works, for great things, that we would be committed to him and obedient in all things, wherever he would send us, whatever we would do, knowing that he is the one who's going to accomplish it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace. God, for your call in our life. God, you are the one who is working God, who is leading. And so, God, I ask that you would help us to be obedient to the call that you have on our lives. God, the things that you've asked us to do. God, the situations that are in front of us, God, would we understand and know and see and sense your spirit's leading in those things. God, I ask for your strength to carry that which is difficult. Lord, help us to be obedient. We know that we do that by the power of your spirit. We trust you, we trust you. God, we trust that your way is better. God, that your plan is perfect, that your purposes, God, will end in life. Lord, help us to remember that when those difficult days come. God, help us to see the way that you are working and leading. God, we declare this today. We pray this. We ask for your help. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.